Luke chapter 14. We are going to take a break today from our verse-by-verse studies through Matthew. We'll still be spending our morning with Jesus. Here in our text, he had been invited to a dinner. And while he was there, as he usually did, he took the situation and, and used the situation he was in to address the hearts of the people he was around. And so at this dinner he is invited to, he shared about an invitation of his own that has been extended to the people of the earth. You know, each and every person here today has been specially and specifically invited by God, not to just come to church on a Sunday morning and not even just to have your sins forgiven. Certainly every person on the earth has been invited by God to have their sins forgiven, taken away at the cross of Calvary. But he's also invited each of us to follow him and hear from him and receive from him. And now he is waiting for our response. He's waiting for our our RSVP. Because our God does not force us to listen or to receive or to follow or even to be saved. He is a God of grace. He is a God who has given us a free will to choose to interact with him or to reject him. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, the God of the universe has invited you to receive forgiveness and to become one of his children, to have your guilt taken away forever. He has invited you to a wedding feast in eternity. And if you are a Christian, you're invited today both to that feast in eternity, which you've accepted that invitation, but you're also invited daily to hear and to follow and to receive from the Lord on this side of eternity. Now, in the parable we're about to read, we discover that these invitations are not only important, but they're also very urgent. And so toward that end, we want to be sure that we are responding and receiving from God the way that he desires for each of us. And so let's start at verse 15 of Luke chapter 14 and see what we see there. It says, now when one of these who sat at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Uh, Let's pray before going on any farther. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this place in your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have promise to be here with us, Lord, in a special way, reaching down from heaven to speak to us by your word, to give us your Holy Spirit so that we can not only know who you are, Lord, but so that we can have a deep and intimate relationship with you where you transform our lives and supply for our needs and take us, Lord, from from glory to glory, Lord, perfecting us on our uh, road to heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would open your word to us and that we would be ministered to by it. 
And that if there is anyone here, Lord, who is not a Christian, who hasn't surrendered their life to you and had their sins removed, Lord, that they would understand that they need a savior and they need someone to cover over all the wrong things that they have done, but that you are willing to do that if they would believe in you and repent and and become your people. And so, Lord, do work today. We thank you for all you've done for us. In your name we pray, amen. Now, I'm sure most of you know the name Steve Jobs. He was, of course, the founder and CEO of Apple Computers. As of the fourth quarter of 2013, Apple had surpassed Coca-Cola as being the most valuable brand in the entire world, and it had surpassed ExxonMobil as being the most valuable company in the entire world. Now, if any of you are Apple fans, or Dancing with the Stars fans, for that matter... You might also know that there was another Steve who started the company with Mr. Jobs back in 1976. His name is Steve Wozniak. Dancing with the Stars fans, I found you. Uh, But something most people don't know, I didn't know until very recently, is that there was a third founding member of the Apple Computer Company. His name is Ronald Wayne. He was there at the very beginning, but there's a reason you don't know his name. After only two weeks after the company was born, Mr. Wayne came to the Steves and he wanted to be bought out. He was concerned about the debt they would have to take on to get the company off the ground, and he didn't want to be a part of that journey. And so he sold his 10% share in Apple computers to the Steves. Now, according to one report, he sold his share for just $800. And today, had he held on to that 10%, it would be worth $35 billion. (laughs) Billion with a B. Now, Mr. Wayne is still alive, and I imagine he has more than a few sleepless nights thinking about his decision back in 1976. You know, looking back at what we know now, we would obviously say that he missed out in a big way. In the list of 10 biggest missouts, he's probably in the top three, right? Looking back at what we know now. Now, the parable in Luke 14 shows us a picture of people missing out on an opportunity to be a part of a feast thrown by a great master, And the master represents God. The feast represents his kingdom. It represents entrance into heaven and the life that he wants us to have as well. And we know the difference between us and Ronald Wayne is that there's no question of what we are going to be headed towards if we stick with the master. We know what's at the end of the road. He looked at his $800 and he said, I'm not sure I want to part with his $800. He didn't know it was going to become $35 billion. He thought it might become $35 billion of debt. But we know exactly how the, the rest of the story is going to play out. We know what the Lord is inviting us to and what he has offered to us. But here in this parable is a picture of a variety of people missing out on the opportunity to be part of this feast. And if we put ourselves in the story, we realize that we are invited to this greatest feast, the greatest kingdom, the greatest investment ever shared with mankind. And a relationship with God is very much like an investment because it's not a casual thing. It's not just something that you, you know, well, it's something that is all-encompassing. It's not only meant to consume our life here on the earth, but it looks forward to incredible rewards in heaven. But as is the case with any investment, the choice and the responsibility to 
accept it and to buy in is ours. And that's one of the points of this parable. You see, Jesus had been invited to dinner at the home of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. It wasn't a friendly invitation. Maybe some of you don't want to go to your you know, class reunion or you get invited to a dinner party and you think, well, I don't want to go to that depending on how antisocial you are. Well, this was not a friendly invitation. This was a group of people that would invite Jesus over to dinner in order to try to find a way to have him arrested and killed. And of course, Jesus knew this because they did it all the time over and over again. They say, hey, uh, we're having a dinner on the Sabbath. Would you like to come to dinner on the Sabbath? Can we stress that it's on Sabbath? Because they had all these rules and regulations and traditions that they had made. And they would have Jesus come over on the Sabbath or they would go and find him and interact with him at certain times. And they would bring these afflicted people, these people caught in sin, these people who were maimed or, or sick in some way. And they would drag them along and they would get him in front of Jesus and they would try to trap him and they tried to find a way so that they could accuse him and arrest him for breaking their traditions and hopefully have him killed. And of course, the Lord knows that. And what's so funny about this as you read the Gospels, it's kind of points of comic relief there in the Gospels. These guys who were supposedly so smart and, and hated Jesus so much, they, the plan always backfired on them every time. But they kept trying it over and over again. Maybe this time in the temple we'll, we'll get him to do something and accuse him. Or maybe this time at dinner. Or maybe this time with a woman caught in adultery. But it always backfired on them because Jesus would minister or heal or forgive the person they brought to trap him. And as he did it, he would confound these religious hypocrites with his wisdom and the truth of God's love. But despite their previous failures, they were back at it again here in Luke 14. They invited Jesus to dinner on the Sabbath. They went and found some poor man who was afflicted with dropsy. They never would have brought him into their homes or into a meal with them except to use him as bait to trap Jesus. But they drag him in there. They set him in front of Jesus. And in, in the text at the beginning of the chapter says they watched him closely because they were trying to find a way to accuse him. And as usual, Jesus healed the man. And then he shared with the people at the dinner teachings and parables about living life humbly for the kingdom of God, looking forward not to honor in this world, but to the rewards God's people will receive at the resurrection. And that's where our text picks up, starting in verse 15, in the midst of all this tension and all this weirdness. Let's read it again. It says, now when one of those who sat at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, we're not sure who this man is. I think it's safe to say that he was probably one of the Pharisees. But beyond that, we aren't told his attitude or his motives. We don't know how he felt about Jesus. And so we will take him at his word. Rather than think the worst of him, let's choose to think the best of him. Okay, I, we like when people think the best of us. So let's look at this guy and think the best of him. He has just heard these parables and these teachings about the kingdom. He saw Jesus miraculously heal a broken man. He sees Jesus showing grace to a crowd of people who viciously hate him. And in that moment, he bursts out and he says, man, the kingdom of God, that sounds great. I want in. He says he wants to be a part of the feast in God's kingdom. Now, each of us, whether we've been a Christian for five weeks or five years or 50 years, we should all look within our hearts and ask ourselves some questions this morning. We should look at our hearts and look at this parable and say, okay, where do I fit in? What character is describing me? How am I responding the, you know, in comparison to how the people in the parable responded? 
You know, we're still just a few weeks into the new year and culturally speaking, it's that time of year when you hear a lot of talk and advertising about New Year's resolutions, right? You drive up the 99 and every other billboard is a billboard for whatever gym, you know, the fitness center because everybody's making resolutions. Oh, I'm gonna get healthy. I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna run this many miles. I'm gonna do this many marathons. And so, yeah, come in. We, we, it's, everything's 90% off in January and 120% extra in February. You know, that's how it works. But the idea is that people take this time of year and evaluate their lives and find places they're not satisfied with or areas they wanna work on or improve. And then culturally speaking, they resolve to do some things in order to better themselves. Now, our pastor touched on this on Wednesday night. If you were at Ignite, if you missed it, uh, you need to listen to the study online. It's the quick start of Haggai. But whether you do resolutions or make fun of people who do them, either way is fine. Uh, Spiritual self-examination is a very important thing if you want to be a growing Christian. It's part of a healthy Christian life, according to the Bible, that we examine ourselves and examine our spiritual lives and, and invite the Lord and his word to come and inspect us and say, okay, what do we see here? Am I really living the way that God has called me to live? Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and do that spiritual self-examination. And here's an example of how we can do this. We see this man in verse 15, his outburst of excitement. And so the question we can ask ourselves is whether we have the same desire to be a part of God's kingdom that this Pharisee did. When we think about Jesus or his word or his will, do we have that exclaiming inside that says, yes, I want in, I want a part of that. I wanna wanna be there. I wanna have a seat at the table. Because if we honestly look inside our hearts, and we don't find excitement to the know the Lord or an excitement to serve the Lord or an excitement to one day be with the Lord, well, then we got a problem. If you can look within and think, I don't care about God's word. I'm not looking forward to being with him. I don't really, I don't have any interest or excitement to know him. You got a problem because it means one of two things. It means you're either not saved and you're on your way to a Christless eternity in hell, or it means you're a backslidden Christian and you need revival. I mean, do you want your spouse or, or someone who you love in your family thinking, yeah, I don't care about spending time with you. I don't care, you know, if you're around. I don't really want to get to know you. Would you look at that person and say, yeah, you're excited to be in relationship with me? Of course not. The Lord has detailed some great plans that he has for his people on both sides of eternity. He has plans for your life. He has plans for your marriage and for your kids and for your struggles and all of these other things that we see in the word. But those plans aren't going to move forward if we don't have some drive and excitement to be a part of it. We have a lot of passion for a lot of things. If you, you know, spend time in the courtyard listening to conversations or if you engage, or if you meet somebody new like we you know, tell you to every week, you meet somebody, you say, man, people here have a passion for a lot of things. You know, some people have passion for like stuff that other people never have passion for, but there's a lot of passion for a lot of things represented here. But do we have excitement for the things of the Lord? Not just a willingness or a compliance with with the Bible or, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll be compliant with what you've asked me to do, but a real excitement. Because if we understand what Christianity really is, I think we should be excited to be a part of what the Lord intends to do. Verse 16 says, then he said to him, stop, stop right there. There are a lot of people at this dinner. But at this point, Jesus turned his words and his attention to the man who had spoken up. 
You know, God responds to interest. The gospels say that Jesus spoke all the time in parables because if a person wanted to understand them, they would have to go and follow up with the Lord and interact with him to get the meaning. They would have to show interest before the Lord took them deeper. Uh, We see another example of this in the book of Exodus. There the Lord comes down into the bush, the burning bush. It's a bush that was burning yet not consumed. It said Moses saw the bush. But it says the Lord didn't start speaking to Moses until he turned aside and gave it his attention. He saw it and he thought, huh, what's going on here? And he showed interest and he went closer to the bush. And when he showed interest, the Lord spoke to him and said, okay, now I'm going to reveal to you who I am, what my plan for your life is, how I'm going to use you to deliver my people. The Lord responds to interest. It's a principle in the spiritual life. If we want to have a deeper relationship with Christ, if we want to be used more by God, if you want to overcome temptation and have stronger hearts and stronger families, well, then we have to show interest and participate in the work that God desires to do. We've got to plant ourselves in the Lord and press into him. There's another parable in Matthew 25. It's about a group of 10 bridesmaids. Five of them kept themselves occupied with the business of preparation. They planned their lives around the bridegroom. They lived life with him in mind. The other five, they didn't do that. They thought, I don't need to do that yet. I've got plenty of time. I don't need to keep myself ready. I don't need to go get any oil or anything like that. When I really need to get my act together, I'll have time. Or someone else will be there to do it for me. But they were wrong. When the bridegroom showed up, they, those foolish five, they wanted the benefits of being his bride, but they refused to live that way. And so when the time came, it was too late for them. And so God makes a lot of plans and a lot of promises to you in his word, but he responds to interest. The Bible says that if we want a door open, we need to knock. If we want to find what we're looking for, we need to seek. If we want an answer from heaven, we've got to ask. It's very simple. But the Lord is gracious and and wonderful. And so he says, if you ask and if you seek and if you knock, then God will meet you and work in your lives. And so Jesus said to him who showed interest, and he said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. God has invited you to his great supper in eternity. And he's invited you today to come and drink of his living water and taste and see that he is good. Those are, you know, to be nourished by the word of God. Those are pictures and and phrases that he used in the Bible, not only for the afterlife, but for your life here and now in Hanford and wherever you live. The Lord is not far off. He's not a recluse. He's invited you to come to him. Oftentimes in the Bible, we see Jesus say, yeah, come, come to me. Come be a part of what I have to offer. He says, come to me for salvation. Come to me for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to me if you're weary or if you're heavy burdened. Come to me with your fears and your confusion. He says, come to me and find rest for your souls as I nourish you, as I give you living water and as we sup together, as we feast together. That's an open invitation that's been extended to each and every one of us here today. And and that dinner he's giving, it's a feast. It's a life of joy and purpose and satisfaction. Verse 17 continues. It says, he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. There is an urgency to the invitation of God. All things are now ready. That meal has been prepared. You know, thinking about this devotionally for our own lives, the opportunities that God has been preparing for us are ready. The path that the Lord wants us to take with him is ready. The strength and the peace that he has for the storms in your life, they have been prepared. 
If you're not a believer, this invitation is incredibly urgent because for you, it's the invitation for salvation. The Lord says, hey, before I can give you anything else, you need to accept the invitation to become saved, to become one of my people. And you, you've been invited by God to upgrade your destination ticket from hell to heaven. You know, you get to decide where you're gonna spend eternity. You get to determine what ticket you're gonna hold. The Lord says, hey, I'll freely give you entrance into heaven. I will upgrade your ticket from hell to heaven if you will believe in me, if you will be saved by the blood of the lamb. But if we're gonna sit there and say, well, I don't know, I'm just gonna hold on to this ticket for a while. Okay, well, you're gonna go where your destination ticket leads you to. And so this invitation for you, if you're an unbeliever, is very urgent because the time is now. You have no idea how much longer you will walk this earth. You have no idea how many beats are left on the counter of your heart. Think about that for a minute if you're not a Christian. Your heart only has so many beats that it's going to be and they're ticking away right now. And the Lord says, man, my invitation is open. Salvation is a free gift if you will receive it. But you have to receive it now. You have to receive it uh, soon because the Bible says that it is appointed to men once to die and after that comes judgment. But Christians, God's invitation for you to live for his kingdom today is urgent as well. We don't wanna miss anything that he has planned because we're delaying our response to him. Here's how the invitees responded in the parable in verse 18. It says, they all with one accord began to make excuses. Now, this man, this master who was giving the feast was not an evil man. He wasn't stingy or greedy. He wasn't throwing a political fundraiser. It wasn't like, hey, come have dinner. By the way, before you leave, I need the maximum legal contribution to my candidate, you know? I mean, this was a really cool deal that he was doing. He was putting on a full-blown feast in a time in a land where people just didn't get to feast. He was a kind man with a generous heart. So why did these people who had been invited refuse him? Well, we see their specific reasons, but in general, one of the things it demonstrates is that the natural inclination of our human heart is to be in rebellion against God. And that's something as Christians, we have to remember so that we can be on guard against it. You know, when you receive salvation, the Bible says that the Lord puts a new nature into your heart. But on this side of eternity, we always have that old sin nature lurking around inside of us. That sinful nature actively seeks to rebel against God. The Apostle Paul understood this and he wrote about it at length in his epistles. Romans 6, 7, and 8 are a good passage to read about the struggle between the two natures inside of a Christian. But because of that struggle, the Bible tells us as, his, as God's people to assault the sin nature and to put it to death. Paul spoke of how a Christian should subject the old nature and he said, I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Think about it this way. One of the most popular New Year's resolutions by far is what? To get in shape. How do we get our bodies in shape? By doing nothing or by doing something? Well, if we do nothing, does anybody get stronger or healthier by doing nothing? Of course not. We have to eat right. We have to exercise and do a bunch of other stuff that no one wants to do. But that's how you get healthier. But if we do nothing, the strength and the health will fade away and the weakness and the sickness will increase. That's the natural way of the human body and we all understand that. Well, our spiritual lives are very similar. If we do not attend to our spiritual health, then it's going to weaken and it's going to shrivel up. It's not that you generate you know, spiritual goodness on your own. It's not that you generate spiritual fruit on your own. You can, it's fruit of the spirit, not fruit of the you. However, 
<laughs> Let me annotate that that's the biggest laugh of the day right there. Man. You know, the Bible says that you as a Christian are like a tree that's planted and the tree will bear fruit because of the power of God. It's not that you make it happen on your own. However, the tree needs to be in the light. It needs to be drinking water. It needs to be planted in the soil. We are part of the cultivation process. A healthy spiritual life doesn't happen on its own. We have to work with the Lord and walk with him and follow after him so that he can do in us and through us what he desires to do. Now let's take a look at the individual excuses these fellows made. The first man said to him, I've bought a piece of ground in verse 18. I gotta go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. So this first fellow had bought a field for himself and rather than go to the feast, he wanted to go to his field and take a look at it. He had plans for this field. He was going to go and see it and plan what kind of crops he was going to grow there. He had a whole set of ideas for the future of this field. When you look at your life, when I look at my life, we should be able to tell if we're living for our own field and our own plans or if we've given the Lord control over what the fields of our future will be. You know, this man here was wrapped up in his own plan. I I don't have any need for your feast or relationship with this master because I got a dirt field and I'm gonna grow stuff there and I've got a whole thing worked out. He was content with his own plan for his future. But it's important that we recognize that the Christian life is not whatever we wanna do with the belief of God added into the mix. That's not the Christian life. The call of Christ is a call to surrender and to relinquish our lives to him. And so one evaluation we should each make today is what our plans are for the future and how does God figure into those plans? What do you have planned for this year? That's fine, now think about that. Now, how does God figure into those plans? Is he in the position of master and designer and decider over our lives? Or have we relegated him to a position of a silent partner? hey, I'm glad you're involved with me. I like the assets you bring, but I need you to be a silent partner while I run this company, while I run this field myself. That's a, we have to decide what position we're gonna put God into. The truth is the Lord has a plan for you. He has a plan for what field he wants you to work in and what field he wants you to be around. It may be a field right where you're at right now or maybe he'll send you to a field you'll never, you've never been to before. But as Christians, we no longer have the authority to decide our own futures. The Lord demands to have the position of decision and authority over our plans. Now, we know that his plans are good. We know that he has weighed and measured them out. We, we know his desire is to bless us spiritually. He has told us that in his word and he has proven himself faithful to do that. But if we think that we can make our own plans for our futures and our own decisions, relegating God to the position of a silent partner or an occasional advisor, then we are gonna miss out on much of what he desires for us. And more than that, Jesus said plainly, you know what, if you don't take up my cross, you are not worthy of me. And it's a very serious thing to think about. Verse 19, another man said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm gonna test them. I also ask you to have me excused. So the second fellow was on his way to test drive his oxen. In his case, it seems that it was his possessions and his job that got, away, got in the way of accepting the, Lord's, uh, the master's invitation. Now, we all know people who value wealth and possessions more than God and even more than other people. It's a terrible thing. It's a sad thing. It's an awful thing when you see that in someone. But it's, not, it's something that we're not immune from. I mean, God's people also have to be wary of idolatry. 
There at the end of one of John's letters, he says, little children, get away from idols. Beware of idolatry. So we're not immune from that. But what about our work? We could say that this guy was, you know, I guess you could say he was a workaholic, but you could say he like just was completely devoted to his work. Here on earth, sometimes we get wrapped up in our work, whether it's our day-to-day job or projects we do on the side. And that's fine as long as we're doing things that our master wants us to do. If the master asks you to do a job, man, do it and throw yourself into it. Do it as best that you can. You know, from the eternal perspective, our work is only important if we're doing what God has asked us to do. And if the Lord has invited us to follow him into some other field or some other opportunity and we ignore that invitation in order to do some other work that we think is important, then we're gonna waste our lives building with what the Bible calls wood, hay, and stubble. They're things that are gonna burn away when we stand before the Lord and our work is tested. Jesus came up to, you know, uh, James and John, Peter and Andrew, and he said, hey, follow me. And they said, okay. And they followed with him. They left their nets behind. If they would have said, okay, we'll follow you, but then stayed with their nets, would it have mattered if they became the greatest fishermen in the history of the world? If every day they caught a thousand fish? No, we would look at that and we'd say, man, you wasted your life because Jesus Christ wanted you to go over here and be one of the 12. But you decided to stay with your nets because we understand what is out there. We understand what God is offering and what he has set before people. Now, this fellow said he needed to test drive his oxen. He bought them. He wanted to see if they were gonna be profitable for him. Okay, fair enough. I can get behind that. I think it's interesting because one of the pictures the Bible uses for the Christian life is that we put on a yoke with Jesus Christ as if we are oxen being yoked together to plow a field with him. And you know what? At the end of our lives, we will be tested by the one who blood bought us. Jesus Christ said, I bought you with my blood and I'm gonna examine your work to check out if you were a faithful, profitable servant. And if you were, it will be rewarded. And if not, you'll be saved as through fire because all that other stuff is gonna burn up, wood, hay, and stubble. And so uh, it's important that we understand that we choose what we're going to dedicate our lives to. And whatever your job is, no matter how significant or insignificant it may seem in your eyes or the eyes of others, if the Lord has asked you to do it, it matters and it's important. It doesn't matter if it's menial. doesn't matter if it's dirty. It doesn't matter if it doesn't get a lot of accolades. If God has asked you to do it, if God has asked you to stock shelves or shovel snow or run a corporation or whatever, if God asks you to do it, then it's important and it matters. But on the flip side, if God hasn't asked you to do something, it doesn't matter how prestigious or how important or how successful you are, it's a waste and has no eternal value. And it's a distraction from the thing that the king really wants you to be doing in his kingdom. And so we should evaluate and say, oh man, okay, Lord, what am I doing? Am I doing what you've asked me to do? Or am I distracted with some group of oxen that I'm test driving today. Now notice both of these guys said the same thing to the servant. They said, hey, I ask you to have me excused. Give me a pass. I want to be excused from my invitation. Our God is full of grace. Our Lord is so gracious. And always remember, man, the Lord is full of grace and mercy. However, he does not excuse you know, the Lord doesn't make you obey him. He doesn't make you do things, but he, he will pour grace out on your life, but he won't excuse us for rejecting him. If you're not a Christian here today, you've been invited to receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You are free to refuse that invitation, but you will not be excused. 
after the end of your life, the Lord will look at you and say, I don't know you. Depart from me into eternal darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because Acts chapter four says very plainly that there is no other way, no other name by which man may be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord will, it shows you grace in not forcing you to become saved. That invitation is free and it's open for you to accept or refuse, but you will not be excused at the end of your life. And Christians as well, we are still called to accept the invitation to follow Christ and take up his cross day by day. And we have to choose to either accept or refuse those invitations. There are many Christians who receive salvation but just won't relinquish their lives at the cross of Christ and they won't live for the kingdom. And the Bible says, yeah, you're gonna stand before the Lord, you'll be saved, but as through fire. That choice to not accept my invitation to live the Christian life, it won't be excused. And so we need to think very carefully about what we're doing with our days. Verse 20 says, still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now this is just a fake excuse. This is what we call a fake excuse. In Jewish law, there were provisions for newlyweds. If a man got married, he wouldn't have to work or go to war for the first year of his marriage. If I wasn't already married, I would think this is a pretty good system that we should implement. Now it could be my platform for running for city council or something. Uh, But they were definitely allowed to feast. And looking at what we see the master, in the master, we know that the master is a gracious man, a generous man, a loving man. He would have been happy to have the wife come along. But the third man used his wife as an excuse. Ah, she's not gonna wanna go to that. Now, ladies, if someone came to your husband today out in the courtyard and handed him a couple of gift cards and says, here is gift cards to movie, you know, to dinner and a show, it's all on us, go have a great night together. How many of you would say, whoa, no, No, I would like to cook and clean by myself at home. Please, please don't give us a night out. Please don't send us to the feast. I want to be at home over the oven for a couple hours cooking the roast today, right? No, of course not. Of course his wife would want to go. But it's interesting, oftentimes people use family as an excuse to not live passionately for the Lord. It's an excuse people use to not serve the Lord and sometimes to not even come and worship him. You know, people say, well, God wants me to put family first. And then when the kids get old enough to start playing sports or do activity, suddenly the parents stop serving as much or at all. The family isn't at church as much. All of the nights and weekends start getting spent out at the activity center or the ball field or the lake rather than the house of God or serving the Lord out in the community. And I'm not saying that sports are a bad thing or that you can't be involved in those sorts of hobbies. What I'm saying is that it's easy for us to convince ourselves that since God wants me to put family first, therefore anything I do with my family is automatically godly. But that is not the case. That's not the case at all. The truth is, and I hope you hear me on this, God doesn't want you to put your family first. He says that very plainly in the Bible. He says, you put me first. You as an individual, you put me first and then I take care of your family. I knit you together. I enrich your lives. I strengthen you together in your relationships with your spouse and with your kids. As you center your life and your family's life on me, I draw you together and build you up and bear fruit. The lake can't do what God wants to do in your family. And Jesus said very plainly, he says, you love me more than father or mother or son or daughter. And he said, if you don't love me more than your families, then you're not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 37, it's like a mind-blowing thing. And so 
Jesus wants you to put him first and then he will care for your families and he will show you how to relate to your families. And so don't fool yourself into thinking that enjoying family time will automatically make your family stronger or more spiritual. Family time centered on the Lord, serving him, being in his house and worshiping him and and his presence, those things will make your family stronger, but the rest is not. And if we put family enjoyment in front of obeying the Lord, then we're making the same mistake and excuse that this man did in verse 20. Verse 21 says, so that servant came, reported these things to his master, and then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. And then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. We learn some things about the master here. First, we see that he was angry and we should realize that the way we live our lives and the way we respond to God has the potential to bring him pleasure or to break his heart or we can grieve him based upon what we're doing. Uh, The things that we do today make an impact on the heart of God. That's an incredible thought. That's how much he cares about you and what's going on in your life. We also see some really wonderful things about the master here. He wanted a full house. He wanted as many people as he could cram in so that he could bless them with this incredible feast. It was all on his dime. He had taken care of all of the work. It was all ready. And he was open to have anyone there who was willing to accept his invitation. Don't miss that. He didn't say, go out and find the best dressed people. Go out and find the wealthiest people. Go out and find the people that are gonna, you know, scratch my back one nice scratch there. He said, I want anybody who's willing to come in and receive. Anybody who wants to be a part of this feast, bring them in. And you notice that he wanted a full house and there was always room. That's our God. That's his invitation. And you know, since it's the new year, we're still in that time of evaluation, at least culturally speaking. And I know each one of you wants a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. We all want stronger families. We all want God to use us and impact our lives in greater ways this year than he did last year. That's why you're here. Because you want to be faithful. You want to follow God. And the encouragement for all of us is that not only are those things possible, but that's what God wants for you as well. He's saying, yeah, that's what I want for you. I'm not gonna withhold that from you. I'm not hiding that away from you. He says, yeah, if you want to accept my invitation, come on in so that I can do all this and more for you. But all of those things, they do not happen on their own. They don't happen by us staying out at the field, staying out with the oxen. They happen by us accepting the invitation and they're found and developed in our lives by walking down the path God has shown to us and it's a path of discipleship. Accepting his invitation to follow him, to taste and see that he is good, to drink deep of his living water, that's how we get there. But we can't get to all those wonderful spiritual promises and blessings if we simply call on the name of Jesus but then go on living the same life with our own plans and our own pursuits and our own methods. Imagine if the disciples had done that. Francis Chan, pastor and author, wrote about that and about answering the call to follow Christ and he said this, somehow many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ, a follower who doesn't follow. How does that make any sense? Many people in the church have decided to take the name of Christ and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to those first disciples and saying, hey, 
Would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything I do or change your lifestyle at all or go with me. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. No one can really believe that this is all it means to be a Christian. And we don't believe that. You don't believe that. We know that the call of Christ is a call to surrender and a call to relinquish our lives so that he can work in us and through us. It means so much more than just affiliation. It means a commitment and having our lives transformed. But it requires that we buy in all the way. God has incredible stores of spiritual power and blessing for his people. We know that. We read about it in his word. You've experienced it in your own lives and in your families. We know that God's intention is to pour into our lives and radically fill us and use us. And as we see in this parable, there's always room for people who want in. But notice this in verse 24. I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste my supper. There's always room at God's table, but our seats are not gonna be saved if we reject his invitations. Here's what I mean by that. If you're an unbeliever, You reject God's invitation. There is a seat for you, but it will not be saved for you if you reject his invitation. At the end of your life, when you say, hey, okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to come in. Now I'm ready to be a part of your kingdom. The Lord is gonna say, you know, we didn't save your seat. That seat was open as long as you were drawing breath on the earth. And once you passed from life into death, that was it. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after this comes judgment. Now for Christians, here's what I mean by our seats are not always saved. The Lord has openly given us the invitation to come and drink and taste and see that he is good. He says, hey, come to my table and see that I'm good for your marriage. See that I'm good for your employment. See that I'm good for your parenting. I'm good for your struggles and your worries. I'm good for these opportunities for you to minister and all of that and on and on and on. But if we reject those things and say, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait, well, then we're gonna miss opportunities. We're gonna miss bearing fruit. We're gonna miss seasons where the Lord was going to do something wonderful. We won't lose our salvation. The Lord won't be angry with us, but he's saying, yeah, you're missing out. You're missing out on a crop that I desired for you. You're missing out on one of the courses of this feast that I had planned to give to you because we would be putting some field or ox or whatever else in front of him. And the Lord says, if, you, if you'll accept I'm gonna make you like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit every season, season after season. He has invited you, he is calling you, he has made all things ready so that you can live with his power and his peace and his effectiveness and his satisfaction. It's ready for you now if you will accept his invitation. All any of us have to do is say yes, yeah, I will come. I don't wanna be excused, I don't wanna be absent, I wanna be a part of what you've called me to do. We accept that invitation and see where it leads. Some of you have probably been to a destination wedding. You get that invitation and you say, yeah, I wanna go to the wedding, but then you don't get to say, I'm gonna have the wedding in my backyard. You say, okay, where is this, where is this feast gonna be held? I'll go. And sometimes it's a destination wedding. You think, I don't know how I'm gonna get to Maui, but I guess I gotta get there. <laughs> sometimes it's a wedding in Riverdale and you think, uh-oh, we're in trouble now. But the point is an invitation comes to you with the destination and the time and all that set. And you, you either say, yes, I'm gonna go and be a part. I'm gonna sit at that table. Or you say, no, I'm gonna miss this one. I'm gonna pass on it. I don't wanna be there. And the Lord says, okay, accept my invitation and see where it leads today. 
We go when and where we're invited to go by the Lord. It takes real obedience, real excitement, real action, but we can do it. And if we do it, man, the Lord is going to meet us there with a spiritual feast, with incredible spiritual blessing, with all the intentions we read about in his word. And so go with the Lord today and see what he will do. Amen?